How are we doing, Ridge Church? Okay, you guys are looking beautiful and gorgeous, all that good stuff, you know, yeah, I know. That's when you should say you too, but it's, it's all good, it's all good, it's kind of over now. Okay, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 2, we're going to dive right into this. 1 Kings chapter 2, and I'm going to read six verses for you, and then I will break it down. Everybody there, say amen. No one brought their Bibles. We have Bibles out on the table. You guys can go get one if you need one. 1 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Verse 4, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your son take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you know also what Joab, everybody say Joab. Joab. Let's try that again. Everybody say Joab. Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zeruah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Finally, verse 6, therefore do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. God uh, actually gave me this uh, message several months ago. I was doing my devotions, and uh, he took me to these six verses in First Kings, and it has radically changed my life and how I view not only what God expects of us as, what expects of me as a man, but expects of me as a Christian as well. And so this message is not just for men, it's for men and, and ladies together. It's anyone who wants to be a mature Christian, this is what God expects of us. Um, anytime I've ever heard David preached, you know, King David preached in church, you know, from the time I was like young till about 12, everybody hears about David and Goliath. Unless, of course, you know, you come here to the ridge and you hear it last week from Pastor Bobby and everybody says, you know, well, it's everybody, all ages, all ages work. But when you get older, that story kind of goes away. And the two, the two things that I associate with David the most is the sin he committed with Bathsheba and then the saying that is in the word that says David was a man after God's own heart. And so I thought about that, and I have actually never heard these six verses ever preached on before in a church. Uh, and this passage of Scripture is actually powerful because this is David, King David is on his deathbed. He is not moments, he's not months away from dying or years away or weeks or days away. He is literally hours to seconds away from taking his last breath. Uh, everyone knows he's about to draw his last breath. They all come in. He asked for his son Solomon, who isn't just his son, but he's also going to be the future king of Israel. And so he asked for Solomon to come into his chambers as he gives him his last final instructions as a king and as a father. And he starts off by saying, be strong, therefore, in verse 2, and prove yourself a man. And I kind of thought about that, and I kind of looked at it from the point of, if I knew that my dad was going to be taking his last breath, and I go into the room, and I see him for, his, for the final moments, and he starts off the conversation with, all right, now be strong, son, and you need to prove yourself a man. I would probably nunchuck him because <laughs> that's just not how you start a conversation off. 
right before you take your last breath. But what David says here is actually powerful because he expounds on that and what that really means and how we prove ourselves a man. He says to Solomon, to be strong and to prove yourself a man, you do this by obeying God in everything. He says to obey all of his commandments, all of his statutes, all of his judgments. He says, this is how you are to prove your manhood, Solomon. He didn't say that you prove it by how much money you have in your bank account. He didn't say you prove it by being able to, you know, bench press 200, 225 like myself. He said, you know, you don't prove it. You don't, you don't prove your manhood by being able to, you know, have the nicest car, the biggest house, you know, the stylish clothes. How you prove your manhood, Solomon, is being obedient unto God. And you see, this isn't just for men. This is for men and women. How you prove yourself to be a man of God is whether or not you can be obedient to God in everything. How you prove yourself to be a woman of God is whether or not you can be obedient to God in everything. And you see, that's important because it's, it's not easy to deny what we want. Sometimes it's not what Christians call the big sins. Sometimes it's just our own personal desires and preferences and opinions. And yet we're going to have to tell ourselves no in order to be obedient to God. I used the example in the first service that your job may be working at Burger King or McDonald's. You're trying to figure out which one should I take. You know, I use the joke, well, if I go to Burger King, God, you know, Lord, if I go to Burger King, maybe he's going to send me to hell. If I go to McDonald's, maybe I'll get 12 crowns in heaven. I don't know. So which one should I take? That, well, no matter where you work at that point, that's not the sin. But maybe there's a particular place God wants you to work that is a part of his plan for your life. So you're going to have to ask yourself, Lord, what do I do when it comes to picking the right career, when it comes to picking the right mate, when it comes to, you know, changing apartments even. We think God doesn't have an interest in those things, but he's very much interested in the decisions and choices that we make. And he says, how you'd make those decisions in being obedient to me proves whether or not you want to be a man or woman of God according to the word of God. David begins to tell Solomon this, and he goes in by saying, he continues by saying, as long as you're obedient, you'll remain on the throne. What that means for us is as long as we're obedient to Jesus Christ, we remain and we keep the authority and power that Jesus Christ has given us. You see, Jesus has given us all authority and all power. And when we get saved, we have that authority as a child of God. But when we begin to live disobedient, we begin to lose that power and we begin to lose that anointing to be able to use that authority in our lives that he's given us. God's desire for us is to be able to walk and move and live in the power and authority that he has given us. And we do that by staying obedient and remaining obedient to what he says to do. David then describes in the final verses, uh, verses 5 through 9, this man by the name of Joab. And Joab was a guy who was actually best friends with David at one point. They were not only best friends, he was David's right-hand man. But Joab, for some reason, decided to go and kill two generals in, in David's army. And when I thought about that, when God was speaking to me about that, he said, you know, these were two pillars in Israel's army, two generals. Joab, for us, represents sin. David had gotten to the end of his life and let Joab remain alive. He didn't kill Joab. Even though Joab was killing all of these soldiers and all of these generals, he allowed Joab to remain living. He never did anything to get rid of Joab. And because he refused to get rid of Joab, he ended up losing more friends, more family, more possessions. 
David got to the end of his life, and on his deathbed, his final last words to his son was not only that he should obey God in all things, but that he should kill Joab. You see, that's the word of God for us today, that not only that we be obedient to God in everything, but that we kill the things in our life that need to be killed. You see, Joab, when he was killing these generals, those generals are pillars, and they represent pillars in our life. Maybe for you, your family is kind of in, a, in ashes right now, not working too good. It's in shambles. Maybe you see your marriage falling apart. Maybe you see your peace leaving your life or your joy leaving your life or whatever it is. These are pillars in your life that if we let Joab continue to live, he's going to destroy more and more of those things in our lives. David's words of advice to, uh, to Solomon was, don't let Joab continue to live. Use wisdom. Don't let him continue to live in peace in your life. When I uh, mow the grass, I mow, I, here's the thing. When I, it's starting about November to about May, I don't have to mow the grass at all at my house because it's like winter. And that's like the best time of the year. I mean, it's like the sanctified, anointed seasons of the year, November to May. But once it hits about the beginning of June, that's when Satan like releases his fury on mankind, especially if you live where I live, where the grass begins to grow up. And I have to mow the grass about once a week if I want to keep it, you know, looking good. If I let it go longer than that, then it just looks, you know, ridiculous, like a jungle. I was mowing the grass last week, and as I was mowing the grass, I was just having conversations with God, and that's kind of when I do my devotion time almost. It's like just, you know, mowing the grass, doing all that wonderful, you know, stuff after I get done bench pressing 200. And, um, it's just, it's a long day. Um, but uh, one of the things that we do, uh, one of the things that I do is I just kind of talk to God and have these conversations with God, and yes, God does speak, you know. And, uh, you know, he was like, you know, the, the grass is growing. That's what God, I felt, heard God saying to me, you know, the grass is growing again. I was like, yes, yes it is, you know. And uh, he said, uh, well, it, it didn't grow, you know, November to May. No, no, it didn't. It didn't grow November to May. So was the grass dead? I was like, no, it was more so like dormant, just kind of like, you know, waiting till I get just comfortable until it, you know, tries to come after me again. And I was like, okay, I kind of see where you're going. And God reminded me of, as I was preparing for this message, kind of reminded me of this sermon along with what he was telling me. Like the, the grass didn't grow from November to May, but the start of June, I've got to keep up with it and keep it mowed down. That's kind of like what sin is. You know, sometimes we can go days or weeks or months or maybe even years, keeping our sin contained, if, if you will. As long as we keep it in our boundaries, keep it in our boxes, it doesn't grow, it doesn't sprout its head. We think we've overcome it, we've got victory over it. But sooner or later, the first of June comes and starts growing again. It starts showing its head again. And we're sitting there and we're like, I just went this entire time without ever having to mow it. I could go months without ever mowing it. Now I have to keep on top of it. How does this happen? That's what sin does to us. We can go months, years even, having complete victory and control over what we think is a temptation and a sin in our past life until one day we wake up and it's growing again. And that temptation and desire is showing itself again. And if we don't keep it under control, it, it continues to grow and overtakes our entire yard. You see, I realized that the only way I was ever going to get to the point where I would never have to mow the yard again is just to completely uproot the grass. Now, it wouldn't look pretty. 
and I've got like a push mower, and I have to like see all of my neighbors in this nice subdivision that we live in have riding lawnmowers where they can just, you know, turn a corner and their yard is done. And I'm mowing the push mower, and they're kind of looking and waving. I'm like, how are you, you know? Because that's what I'm thinking when they're, you know, on their fancy, you know, $4,000 lawnmower. And I've got like a one that we got at a yard sale for like 50 bucks. The wheel is falling off, and it's like, chug, 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 chug. And I can only go about four little lines before I have to take the bag out, because not only is it a push mower, but it's got a bag with it. And so I've got to, after every four strokes, I've got to take the bag out, bag out go to the end of the yard, dump the grass that way, come back, and they're all sitting there drinking their lemonade, and I'm like, you guys are gorgeous, every single one of you. I hope you're good. They're not breaking a sweat. I'm like taking my shirt off, and you know, everybody's like, oh, dinner in a movie, and I'm like, you know, I just don't know, man. So uh, anyhow, so I, I, started, I started watching this, and I'm thinking, you know, that, that, that really is what sin is like. That really is what sin does. If we don't stay on top of it, if we don't control it, it's going to completely overtake our lives. And so when David starts talking to Solomon about Joab, this is what he's saying. He's saying, son, don't get to the end of your life and be where I'm at. You see, I kind of think of David, and that's his last words, because in verse 10, you find out he takes his last breath and he dies. David's last words to his son were two things. Number one, obey God in everything, and number two, kill the sin while you still can. You see, David understood something. He understood this man who was not just a man of God, but the scriptures say was a man after God's own heart. God so loved David, this same David got to the end of his life with regret. This same David who had experienced the grace and forgiveness of God, that had experienced such an amazing anointing of God, that had experienced the providence of God, this same David got to the end of his life and said, you know, if I could just go back. This is what I would do differently. And we hear that a lot, don't we? Especially, you know, no matter how old we are, everyone that's older than us always says the same thing. I remember my dad saying it to me, my grandpa saying it to me, the old guy across the street saying it to me. Everybody that, you know, is older than you always says, you don't want to make the same mistakes I did. Everyone's heard that, right? You don't make the same mistakes I did. Don't go down the same path that I did. And I think that same voice, that same advice has been given for centuries. And it starts here with David saying, don't get to the end of your life wishing you would have killed your Joab. You see, we all have strongholds and we all have sins and we all have addictions and things in our lives that need to be taken care of. And I think of the sad result of that, which is that we don't have the power to do it. Because if we did, we would have done it a long time ago. Some of us are still wallowing in it, still struggling with it. We see that same temptation before us over and over and over again, and we say, why can't I get the victory over it? Why can't I overcome it? And we never have, the, we never have enough strength and power to get rid of it. That's the sad news. But then I think of the good news, which is that Jesus Christ does. Someone else has the power to set us free in those areas. You see, when Jesus came, it said that he came to destroy the works of the devil and to save his people from sin. When I think of that, I, I think of the irony of that, that Jesus came to destroy sin, destroy the works of the devil, and yet we're still in sin. How can we say that we have been changed radically by God, experienced the grace of God, experienced and have Jesus in our life and say, you know what, this same Jesus has the victory over sin, but 
I'm still in it. The way I look at it is it's a faith problem. You see, before we come to Jesus, we have a problem with maybe he won't forgive me of my sins. Uh, There's too many things that I regret. There's too many things in my past that I've done that I don't think he'll ever be able to forgive me over. And so we struggle with coming and receiving Jesus as our Savior. But sooner or later, for those of us who have received Christ as our Savior, we've had our faith enlarged and we've accepted Christ. This is the same problem. That same small mustard seed of faith that it takes to receive Jesus is the same amount of faith it takes to believe that he can completely change us and destroy sin in our life. You see, David got to the end of his life saying, I wish I would have killed Joab. I wish I wouldn't have got to the end of my life and let Joab live. My plea today is that when you leave here, and it's not just about the end of your life, because God, Jesus could come back at any second. We may never take our last breath here on earth, but sooner or later, whether we take our last breath or Jesus comes back, all of us, whether we're saved or not, will stand before Jesus Christ and be held accountable for how we have lived. And the question that we're, we're going to be asked by, by God himself is, did you live a life that pleased me? It's not about works. It's about being saved by the blood of Jesus. But even when we get saved and we're living in that grace, he's going to say, what have you done with the grace that I gave you? Did you allow my complete saving power to eradicate sin in your life or did you just cover it up, try and contain it, just mow it down? Just like the grass, a lot of us like to treat sin that way. We just kind of mow it over. You know, if I can just contain it, if I can just control it, if I can just make sure I'm only tempted in these areas, if I can just make sure I avoid this, then I can have complete victory over it. But it keeps growing. It keeps coming back. Because the only way to completely get rid of sin is to uproot it. You cannot mow over sin. It doesn't work. Joab, um, like I mentioned earlier, was... One of, at one point, David's best friend. And when one of David's sons had tried to take over the kingdom, Joab was actually supporting David. And I thought of that. I was like, man, that's just kind of ironic, isn't it? This same Joab who's now trying to, who's killing some of David's generals, at one point was David's best friend and supported him when people attacked him. And then I realized that's what sin does as well. You see, the enemy doesn't always go with what's quickest or more reliable or what's faster. Sometimes he just waits for a vulnerable point. David was vulnerable because he was literally seconds away from taking his last breath. And when Joab saw that David was that vulnerable, that's when he came in for the plunge. You see, David, when he confronted Joab years ago about the killings that he was doing, Joab's response was, I supported you when your son came against you. I supported you when no one else supported you. I was there for you, just me and you. See, that's what sin does. It always says, you know what, I was there for you. When no one else was there for you, I was there. When no one else wanted to be with you, I was there. That's what sin says to us. It speaks it in our minds and in our consciences and in our hearts. I was there for you. But at, the, at, at just the right moment, Joab tried to take over the kingdom. You see, the enemy is not interested in anything less or anything more than taking away the power God's given you. And he's not interested in anything else other than taking away your, your anointing that God has placed on your life. 
So we have to look at our lives and we have to say, is there anything in my life that pleases God? And is there anything in my life that displeases God? And we have to deal with those things and we have to get rid of it and eradicate it before it's too late. In uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, they can put that on the screen real quick. There is a um, scripture that I want to read. If you guys can turn it or it will be on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 9, the children of Israel have just been living in sin. They keep disobeying God. We all know the stories. If you read in the Old Testament, they get back to God and they, you know, then they turn around again, completely do what they want. This is what's happening. Nehemiah says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15, he says, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, talking about God giving the children of Israel. He says, and you brought them water out of the rock for their, for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. Verse 16, but they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. See, that's what we do, isn't it? God does so much amazing things for us. He does so, so, so many wonders in our lives, and yet we refuse to turn to him. We refuse to be obedient. We refuse to listen to what he has to say. We harden our necks. Verse 17 says, they refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. Now, before we read on, he says, not only did they harden their necks and were disobedient, but then they tried to appoint a leader. You see, that's what we do when we get in sin. We do two things. Number one, we look for somebody to tell us it's okay. We look for a leader who will say, you know what? It's okay. It's all good. It's, it's, you know, don't worry about it. Don't stress over it. That's a weak area. It's no problem. The second thing we do when we're saying, when it says they looked for a leader, is we look for company. We don't just look for somebody to tell us it's okay. We look for people to help us do it. Because no one wants to be the oddball, right? You know, when you're like a Christian in like a, maybe a public school or something, everyone's like, I don't want to be the only one praying at the lunch table. Well, when you're in sin, you're like, I don't want to have to be the only one in the church doing something I probably shouldn't be doing. So let's try and find some more people, right? That's what we do when we're sinning. We look for someone to tell us it's okay, and then we look for people to kind of do it with us. But here's what I like. In this very same verse, in the very verse that says that they were rebelling, in the very same verse that says they hardened their heart, they refused to obey, it says, but you are God. I love that. It's my favorite part of the entire chapter of, uh, of chapter 9 of Nehemiah. He says, You're not, God is not like us because God, if he were like us, probably would not forgive us because we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. So I love it that even in the middle of our rebellion, even in the middle of our hardness of heart, Nehemiah starts it out and says, you know what, even in the midst of all of that, you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful. It kind of went away. Let's clap on. There we go. <laughs> Slow to anger abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. God says, even in the midst of all of that, Nehemiah said, even in the midst of all that, God is slow to anger, gracious and merciful, and he does not forsake us. You see, when I read that scripture, I, I imagine God with like open arms saying, whenever you're ready to come back, I'll be here. You see, God will always take us back as long as we are willing to come to him. So how do we prove, men, our manhood, per se? We do it from what the Word of God says we do. 
We prove our manhood by two things, obeying God and killing sin. Ladies, how do you prove your womanhood? You do it by obeying God and killing sin. You see, David knew something that a lot of us take a whole lifetime trying to figure out, and that's this. If we don't kill sin while we have the strength and power to do it, we're going to end up with regret, and it's going to kill us. Like the saying, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We have to completely get rid and uproot of those sins in our lives, of those strongholds and addictions that we keep going back to. We have to uproot it, or we're going to be like David, and we're going to live a life of regret. Even as, a, even as, as David was, who was completely anointed, completely loved by God, had a little bit of regret in his life because he wasn't able to kill the thing that he needed to. When I uh, work with the youth here, one of the things that I always tell the young guys and the young girls when we're, we're talking about, you know, well, you know, they're like, what should I do? What, you know, what job should I take? You know, where, you know, where should I go to college? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. You know, it's uh, go to Harvard. Your parents have already paid for it. You know, it's, uh, you know, go, go to one of those places. And, you know, we're always talking about that. The one thing that I always say is before any of that stuff should be even considered, the one desire that you should want more than anything else is to please God. Because if you can please God, none of the other stuff matters. Our main ambition in life as a, as a person and as a Christian should be to obey God in everything and get rid of the things in our life that displease Him. The main thing in our life should be, what can I do to honor God? What can I do to be well-pleasing to God? You see, if we don't let God do a work in our lives like he needs to, to completely uproot and eradicate the things in our life that he must, then we're not going to be able to live our lives to the fullest the way he's called us to live. We end up losing peace. We end up losing joy. We end up losing friends. We end up losing family. We end up losing things that if we would just be obedient to God, none of that stuff would be an issue for us. So I encourage you today with two things. The two things I want to encourage you with is in every part of your life, look out and say, what areas please God and continue to do that? And what areas displease Him and stop Him today? I want to be obedient to God. That, that to me, is, is the main desire of my life. I don't want God to look at me and say, you know what, He's a work in progress. You know, I mean, that's a cool catchphrase, and it would probably be really popular if it was a bumper sticker, but I want God to be able to look at me and say, you know what, that's not a work in progress, that's a man of God. And I don't just pray that for me, I pray it for all of us. I don't want God to just be able to look at you all and say, you know what, they're works in progress, and that's good. But I hope that before we leave this earth, God can say, you know what, those are people who are men and women of God. Because that's like the greatest testimony someone could have. And David gave us that testimony when he said, obey God in all things, number one. And number two, kill the sin while you still have the strength. So if you're here today and you say, you know, 
that, that's, that really is me, you know. I, I, there are some things that I still struggle with. There are some addictions I keep going back to. There are strongholds I can't break. Here's what I want to be able to relate to you. Is uh, if God can forgive me of the stuff that I've done, I'm 100% convinced he can forgive and will forgive anybody of anything. I made a joke in the first service, and I make the joke quite frequently, that I was like the prodigal son on steroids, or speed, whichever one you prefer, in the way that, in the sense that I would always come back to God, ask for forgiveness, God would do a work in my life, and then I'd go right back to the same thing I did. Like, and it wasn't like I fell into sin, I would willfully choose it. I knew right from wrong. Knew what I should do, knew what God wanted me to do, and say, well, I'm going to kind of take a detour. And then when I found out how empty it left me feeling, when I found out how miserable I jacked everything up, yet again, I'd come back to God, my tail tucked between my knees and just, you know, my head down saying, you know, God, I, I messed up again. God would clean me up, and then I'd go right back into doing it. And for some of you, that's, that, that's how it is. And it was always hard for me to relate with the story of the prodigal son because it says he left and he came back, they threw a party and they all went crazy. But I, I was the prodigal son who when I would come back, as soon as the party was over, I'd go right back into the mud that I had just got delivered from. And so if God can forgive that, I don't know how he can, then he can forgive anyone. I'm not justifying sin and I'm saying, if you are truly repentant, God will always take you back. That's why our God is greater than anything and anyone on this earth or anywhere else. The Bible says that he, when Peter came to Jesus, he said, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus responded to him, no, seven times 70. See, Jesus doesn't tell us to forgive seven times 70 so that we'll be better than him. But he tells us to forgive seven times 70 because he's showing us a bit of his heart. And that if we're truly repentant, he will always forgive us and always take us back, no matter what. So if you're here today, I just want to leave and close with this, the two points. In your life, obey God in all things. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard, no matter what the pressure is, no matter even if church people tell you that what you're doing is crazy, obey God in all things. And the second is don't leave here today without completely getting rid and getting victory over the things God wants you to have victory. Don't live your life in regret. Don't get to the end of your life and say, you know what, I've got a lot of advice for young people. Don't do what I did. Be able to get to the end of your life and say like Paul, I fought the fight. It was hard. That's why David says be strong. It took a lot of work, but I finished the race and I did it well every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. If you're here and you say, you know what, I've, I've never received complete victory because I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. If that's you this morning, would you just slip your hand up really quick? Say, I want to be able to drink from the well of, of living water this morning. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I have accepted Jesus Christ, but my life is actually a, right now a contradiction of that freedom and that victory. If 
If you need victory over sin tonight, this morning, I'll raise my hand with you and say, you know what? I need a touch from God. If that's you and you say, I need help being able to be obedient and to kill the sin in my life, would you just slip your hand up really quick? Amen. Amen. I invite you to come to this altar this morning if you want to, or you can pray wherever you are. But whatever it is, let's just give it all to God. Let's just surrender and say, I'm not going to leave here today without being completely changed without having sin completely removed from my life.